Welcome back to Second Helping, the number one choice among podcasts for fans of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics. That league, of course, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network. Joined, as always, by my great friend, Brent Beard, College Football Analyst for First Coast News, also a longtime voter in the race for the most prestigious individual honor in my opinion, all of sports, the Heisman Trophy. Brent, man, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast. Hard to believe we're already getting ready to preview week seven of the mm. 2021 SEC season. But, you know, the, 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 and the fun thing about this time of year, I mean, we know what the um, what you would call the, the prime time and the 330 window things are. Uh, but Trav, we're at that point of the season where, for so many of these teams, that there's a lot at stake, like like winning records and bowl games and things like that, and and some surprises with that. So, uh, pl- plenty of importance for this Saturday, right? Absolutely, and it starts in that early window with those noon Eastern kickoffs, potential for fireworks once again. When you talk about the early slate, three games in that noontime window on Saturday, and we'll start with Auburn making that trip out to Arkansas. Controversial ending, to say the least, to Auburn, Arkansas a year ago when it looked like uh, Bo Nix actually spiked the ball behind him, which should have been a lateral in Arkansas football, which would have essentially ended the game in Arkansas's favor. The Razorbacks in bounce-back mode, the Tigers in bounce-back mode, following a couple of losses in a row for Sam Pittman's team and Auburn coming off that thumping at the hands of the Georgia Bulldogs. What are you sort of picturing here in terms of how the styles of these teams will match up on Saturday? I'm just wondering right now if the uh, uh, Auburn – line of scrimmage how well how well they will match up with arkansas i I think that's been part of this situation trav this year with arkansas and their improvement or along the lines of scrimmage and in the old stuff of uh can auburn block arkansas i think it's gonna be very interesting again you're looking at I mean, here's Arkansas at four and two. If they win this game, they're five and two. I mean, who'd imagine at the beginning of the year that they would be anywhere near uh, five and two at this point? But an uh, interesting stat for uh, Auburn uh, going into this game of uh, when they get to 400 yards of total offense. Uh, in the last 16 games, when they do that, they're 15 and one. So that that if you're looking for a kind of a mark for them, that that's something to look at. But again, when I think of Auburn, will Bull Nicks be under control? What will these average at best wide receivers be able to help him out? And, and again, Trap, my my big question here is: I know Arkansas can and will run. My, my question for you is, uh, will Auburn, with the running backs they've got, uh, and particularly with Tank Bigsby and, and company, uh, will they uh, run uh, more than they did, certainly against Georgia? They should. They absolutely should. And, you know, if I told you before the season, look, through six games, Bo Nix is going to have just one interception you would have felt pretty good about that. I Absolutely. That's been a bugaboo for him. And he did answer some road questions his last time out in that stellar performance 
against LSU a couple of Saturdays ago. Here's the problem with Bo Nix in that passing game. He's thrown just six touchdown passes in six games. He's attempted 185 passes, Brent. So that averages out to about a touchdown pass every 31 passes that he's thrown this season. And then you look over at K.J. Jefferson, who was outstanding for Arkansas in defeat last Saturday in Oxford. And Jefferson's ratio is more along the lines with nine touchdown passes on 126 attempts. It's more than, than half of that. Uh, even where the Arkansas passing game is concerned. And I think it goes back to what you said. At least with Arkansas, you know you have Traylon Burks at the wide receiver position that you can go to. So I think the chances of one of these offenses becoming too one-dimensional leans more towards Auburn, and that's mm-hmm. not a good place to be on the road no. in this situation. No, and, and uh, one of the Auburn beat writers told us this week that Auburn is really struggling in two areas, and we've touched on some of it. One is, uh, for whatever reason, they just don't have explosive players. Mm-hmm. And, and, he, and this is and this is not too long after Gus Malzahn leaves the program. And the other thing is, Trev, they don't have the depth they need on the defensive line. So uh, pretty easy to see what Brian Horson, a couple recruiting priorities coming up over the next few months. Yeah, both these offenses in this game average over 200 rushing yards per contest. So could be first team over 200 rushing yards. Saturday wins the game with the way these two teams like to do things on that side of the ball. Also in that noontime window on Saturday, Florida travels to LSU, and man, it seems like almost a carbon copy of a year ago where we get to the midway point of the season and we start needing kind of a roster, an updated roster, to figure out exactly who LSU is going to put on the field because the injuries continue to mount simultaneous to the pressure mounting on Ed Orgeron. Uh, It really is unbelievable when you think about uh, and from what we talked about earlier in the week, we can add more to it, can't we? Uh, Kayshawn Eli Butte, Ricks. That's yeah. right. <laughs> we mentioned him being out. Uh, Ali Gay, who is a senior defensive lineman, uh, he is out. And as Travis mentioned, uh, Eli Ricks uh, is out. I thought this was interesting. Trav, his mother, comes on Twitter and says, this is not an opt-out. This is not uh, that uh, at that point uh, that he's going to transfer uh, that uh, her quote is, this is not an opt out. This is not he's going to transfer. So uh, in, in rereading that, uh, she's saying he's going to hang around. Look, my, my thing with this is, and is this part of, okay, we know this season is leaving us very quickly uh, here at three and three, probably about to be three and four or the, or the stars going to sit on the sidelines, Trav, and kind of, kind of see what happens to, Oh, over the next few weeks and months. Yeah. It's uh tumultuous, I guess, to say the least the times right now in Baton Rouge and even with Ty Davis price going off for nearly 150 rushing yards in the loss to Kentucky, Last week, you still wonder if this offense for LSU can produce any semblance of balance this week against the Florida Gators. Meanwhile, 
Florida comes in averaging 274 rushing yards per game. That's not a good stat, I would think, for an LSU defense that got no. cut up by the Kentucky run game last week. Though, and, and particularly when you've got uh, the threat of Emory Jones, and frankly, I still say one of the better running back rooms in the entire league, Naquan Wright, a guy who gave Alabama a problem in Gainesville, mm-hmm. had, a good, had a good game last week. Uh, during that time, too. Uh, and, and Trev, some of the LSU beat writers talk about that 11 o'clock kickoff saying, <laughs> saying Tiger Stadium may be half empty uh, by the time they, uh, that they start the game, or maybe half full is a better way of putting it at that point. But again, Gators got a lot to work on, reduce the penalties. How much Anthony Richardson will we see uh, at that time? So, uh, and no question, uh, Gator fans have mentioned to me this week, I'm sure they have you, uh, is this a little bit motivation after DeMarco Wilson throws the shoe? And frankly, one of the bigger upsets in the SEC last year with LSU winning in Gainesville. Yeah, I don't think Dan Mullen's sitting anybody this time around like he did last <laughs> no. year with Kyle Pitts. Um, should be all hands on deck for the Gators Saturday in that early window. I've got UF relatives that are in route to Baton Rouge right now. I told them, look, you may be able to enjoy the same type of seating that I enjoyed with my two daughters when I made the trip to Baton Rouge last season for Alabama LSU. One of the more surreal moments or periods of time over three, three and a half hours I'll ever encounter, I think, in my life with Death Valley last season with like 25,000 people in it for an Alabama game. And look, it may have that same sort of feel, as you said, with maximum occupancy (laughs) for Florida on Saturday. These young receivers, Jack Beck, Brian Thomas Jr., Deion Smith, they're really going to have to step up, especially with Boutte out for the remainder of the season. Also in that early window on Saturday, Texas A&M on cloud nine, the Aggies, following the upset of the Alabama Crimson Tide last Saturday night. We've talked about this trip to Como in the wake of the Alabama game, one way or the other, whether A&M won it or lost it as being a potential trap scenario. But I got to say, with as atrocious as Missouri's defense is, really hard for me to pick or forecast a let down scenario to the point where A&M loses this game. Because I think if you just hand the ball to Isaiah Spiller 20 times and maybe even Devon A-Chain 20 times, the potential for a 300-yard rushing performance from the Aggies seems quite realistic this week, Brent. Well, and when you're allowing 286 rushing yards a game uh, and you've allowed at least 450 yards to everyone but Southeast Missouri State, that that's not a good formula by, by any stretch of the imagination. And, and, and Travis, my question is in this, and we use this term from time to time, isn't this a bit of a maturity game for A&M? Uh, I mean, listen, they won every weekly award they could win, right? So everybody's patting them on the back. Probably still got a few students laying on the field after rushing it last Saturday night. Can Trav, can, can Jimbo get this team up mentally where they need to be? I'm with you. Uh, you can almost go uh, uh, set it on neutral and win the game. But, uh, but I'm just wondering if, if they have much of a letdown this weekend. Yeah, that's the concern. It is a maturity game, I think, for A&M. But I think ultimately – 
it's going to be a stats game for Spiller yeah. and A-Chain <laughs> and those backs for A&M. I think they roll up the rushing yards and take care of business against Missouri early on Saturday in that 3.30 slot on CBS Eastern time on Saturday. We keep trying to build up these Georgia games as games of the year. At first, it was <laughs> Arkansas a couple weeks yeah. ago. Top 10 matchup. But we talked about it going into that game. You, you thought with Styles making fights like they do so often, the style of Arkansas's play didn't really match well, pair well with what they were going to see against Georgia. I have some of those same concerns for Kentucky, a team yeah. that obviously if it gets Christian Rodriguez, Kivasi a smoke going on the ground like it did last week in the win over LSU, can beat just about anybody but i don't think this georgia defense is just anybody so will levis you're gonna have to have your zach calzada game from last week i think if if kentucky's gonna go in athens and do the unthinkable uh georgia's won 11 in a row and 36 of the last 41 in this game and and i it looks like senior wide receiver josh ali is uh is, i think that's more of a day-to-day type thing Kentucky 6-0 for the first time since 1950. And look, they're not going to beat Georgia. As a matter of fact, I talked to a Georgia beat writer with some things I want to mention. But first of all, as far as Kentucky is concerned, now, Trav, I'm looking at big picture here. Okay, they'll lose against Georgia. Mississippi State, Tennessee, Vandy, New Mexico State, and Louisville. Trav, could this team be 11-1? Yeah, I, I mean, I would be shocked if this team wasn't in a New Year's Six game Yeah, when absolutely. it's all said and done. And no, I mean, this is, we've talked about it. This is the SEC Eastern Division Championship game. I think uh, Georgia has a game to play with either way. If they beat Kentucky, though, they're going to have a couple of games to play yes. with in the Eastern Division. And I just don't see Georgia dropping another game even if it does somehow fall to florida in the cocktail party coming up in a couple weeks so for all intents and purposes this is it in the east and again as you outlined even if kentucky loses the game oh this is a team that could be looking at 10 wins minimum in the regular season and if it gets to 11 and 1 and some crazy stuff happens elsewhere uh this sounds nuts i know but you're going to have Mark Stoops potentially uh, on that Sunday after the SEC championship game, maybe making the case for his team as a college football playoff participant. Absolutely. Uh, and again, with the guys they brought in, Wondell Robinson, uh, we we love we both love Chris Rodriguez. Levis has been steady. Uh, and again, what Stoops has done here to me is amazing. He's recruited the state of Ohio well, and then that has paid off for him. Uh, a, a guy that really needs to be looked at with Sam Pittman as SEC Coach of the Year. Uh, and, and again, they've got to command this game healthy. One thing I do want to mention about this game, and talking with the Georgia beat writer last night, because I'm talking to the Georgia Bulldog Club tonight, uh, Trav, you can imagine they'll be a, a happy bunch. But a, a, a very interesting point that he made, and this reminds me, because everything in the league ties back to something else in the league, uh, that Stetson Bennett, as steady as he has been, um, 
the coaches trust him, that he doesn't make mistakes. He, frankly, is accurate. He checks out of a bad play into a good play. And what I got from the beat writer last night was that, and they're not going to say much about it, but there's some question here about JT Daniels, who had all this hoopla about going to the NFL, who basically hasn't played much at all, some question about his mental toughness. And uh, the, the, the beat writer said, Kirby, like Nick Saban, is a big trust guy, and he likes guys who practice well. And one of the reasons that Bennett has uh, is maybe keeping this starting job is all the above. It's it's the trust factor, no mistakes. Uh, I mean, Trav, they could criticize Bennett, but he's done a solid job. Well, here's what Kirby sees in Stetson Bennett. He sees Kirby smart. Yeah. Stetson Bennett plays quarterback like Kirby Smart played safety. Mm-hmm. Okay? Go back to the mid-90s or yeah. whenever and pull the tapes. Kind of the same guy, just on different sides of the ball, playing similar positions on different sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. Kirby Smart's a South Georgia guy yep. from Bainbridge. Stetson Bennett from Blackshear. There's a lot of parallels there between the head coach. Sure. And Stetson Bennett. And so, absolutely, I can envision a scenario where Kirby Smart feels quite at ease with Stetson Bennett. The question continues to be, as we've talked about in previous weeks, is that enough? If this right. is the ceiling, what we're seeing right now for the Georgia offense, and maybe it is because they're so good defensively, is it enough with Stetson Bennett at quarterback? Is there a scenario where Georgia despite its elite defense, finds itself in a position where it needs to score in the 30s to beat somebody. Is Stetson Bennett at quarterback enough? But from just a pure trust factor, I can absolutely see where that's the case with Kirby because Stetson Bennett is Kirby in a lot of ways. Sure, sure. Let's talk about – let's talk – go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, the only thing I was going to add, Trav, to what I was told last night is – uh, and, and Florida fans don't want to hear this, but there's a real chance possibly George Pickens comes back for Florida. There you go. Back shoulder fade back into play for the Georgia offense How about that? with George Pickens uh, if he's back in time for the cocktail party here in a couple of weeks. We won't spend a lot of time on that 4 o'clock kickoff Eastern <laughs> at Williams-Brice Stadium between Vanderbilt and South Carolina, although we will say – that despite this game featuring two of the very worst offenses in the Southeastern Conference, for South Carolina in year one under Shane Beamer, a chance to get back over 500 overall yes. at four and three, and even in the SEC at two and two. And when you talk about bowl scenarios and things like that, this is one the Gamecocks absolutely have to have. Well, and uh, th- there's no doubt. And, and look, they. You, you, you've still got a, a situation here, uh, A&M, Florida, Missouri, Auburn, and Clemson. I mean, they likely could beat Missouri, and could they upset somebody along the way? I, I mean, I mean, Travis, wouldn't, wouldn't Gamecock fans have signed a contract at the beginning of the year for five and seven, much less six and six? By the time they get to Auburn, that may be a winnable game for them. It could be. Still would be an upset scenario, I think. But even five wins in year one under Shane Beamer, I think if we're being honest with ourselves, 
and considering the state of that program as he inherited it, I think that's acceptable from the, the South Carolina fan base. He gets to five, he gets to six, uh, you know, have a ticker tape parade and five <laughs> points of Columbia, yeah, South Carolina absolutely. for the guy. That'd be a hell of an achievement for Shane Beamer in his first season at the helm. Alabama rebound Saturday, as we talked about for so many teams around the league. None more so than for the Crimson Tide coming off its first loss since the 2019 season. The Crimson Tide travels to Mississippi State to take on a rested Bulldog team coming off a bye week. Mississippi State has to be confident right now, Brent, considering that in its last game, it went to College Station and beat Texas A&M. And of course, we know Alabama just last Saturday night didn't have that sort of success against the Aggies in college station. So what are we looking for in this game? You know, Alabama shut out Mike Leach for the first time in his head coaching career a year ago in Tuscaloosa. And you look at this Alabama defense and so many of the pieces that were a part of that shutout Mm -hmm. a year ago are back. You would think, well, they've got the recipe, they've got the personnel, but I don't think the trust level no. For this Alabama defense going into state this year is anywhere close to what it was a year ago. No, it's really not. And my understanding is Drew Sanders, uh, the linebacker who they thought might be back, will not be back. So obviously maybe against Tennessee or certainly against LSU. I, I thought you wrote something interesting this week about Will Rogers. And, and, and look, people need to realize Will Rogers, now he's not throwing at 80 yards, but what real Will Rogers does, he's pretty effective at. He he's got a little bit. Trav, what would you say, ten to fifteen yard window that he mm-hmm. that he throws that basically are running plays. Uh, in essence, uh, I know you wrote about the easy answer would be to play more zone, but I think it's going to be huge, is it not, for Alabama to be able to tackle well. In space, State really doesn't run the ball much. Their passing game is their running game. They struggle somewhat on pass defense. But I, I, And the thing I've heard from some Alabama media this week was that they had an, an, one of the worst weeks of practice that they've had in years last week. I'm curious if you heard the same. And uh, to me, Trav, with this game, uh, beyond the adjustments, what will the mindset be for the Crimson Tide on Saturday? Yeah, I think it starts with the defensive side, and can they get off the field against this Mississippi State passing attack? And to further the point about the running back position being such a big part of that state passing game, Jaquavius Marks and Dylan Johnson, the two primary backs for state, have a combined 69 receptions. Wow through five games. So (laughs) we're talking about, wow, uh, you know, 15, 20 receptions combined per contest for the back. So that's a big part of it. You'll look at the Alabama defense and you'll think, wow, the dime package with four wide receiver sets from Mississippi state in play. Oh, these DBs are going to be a big part of it. Well, the inside linebackers got to be better for Alabama. Henry Toa, Christian Harris, uh, they're going to be called upon to help deal with these backs, both in the ground game and more so even from a passing perspective. And then identity-wise, what which Alabama offense are we going to see this week? Yeah. Um, is it going to be the continued commitment to balance and 
even more of a spread look at times and the effort to produce explosive plays in the passing game? Is it going to look more like what we saw against Ole Miss? Ole Miss threw a similar defensive scheme at Alabama that Mississippi State will employ with Zach Arnett on Saturday night, a 3-3-5 look. It's just going to be a fascinating game. Again, not only in terms of the psyche for Alabama coming off the loss, but just how it goes about approaching State mm-hmm. on both offense and defense. Well, and, and, and something of great concern over the last four games, Alabama defense has allowed 10 touchdowns and 13 trips inside the red zone. Yeah. So the, that, that's got to be dealt with. And, and Trav, do you, do you foresee some, uh, I'm not going to say experiments, but, but, but maybe a, a, a tweak or two on that offensive line or maybe a, a tight end to help some of the mm-hmm. offensive line who are struggling. I'll be curious to see if that happens too. Maybe tighter and heavier formations. Yes. And when I say that, didn't see as much of Kendall Randolph at tight end against A&M last week. Maybe we see more of him this week to go along with Cameron Latou. Um, I don't, I don't envision some changes to that offensive line simply because I don't think they have a next guy ready yet. Unless it's going to be a Damian George in his second year that maybe you could jump in there at right tackle. I I just don't think from a development standpoint, uh, they're quite there with some of those guys wrapping things up on Saturday night, the return of Lane Kiffin (laughs) to Knoxville, Tennessee. Although look, he's already been back. He was back with Alabama in 2014 as the offensive coordinator for the Crimson Tide. Still a fun storyline to consider uh, following Lane's one year, his cameo, his layover there in Knoxville in 2009. He takes the Ole Miss Rebels into Neyland Stadium. That has the potential to be another one of these games that maybe gets into the 50s. Like Ole Miss and Arkansas did last Saturday. This Tennessee offense putting up some big numbers of late. I think what's exciting about this game is that that the media are concentrating more on the potential uh, of of having this uh, another 52-51 to type thing instead of uh, being concerned about Lane Kiffin coming back. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and and I think, and and Trav, for the first time in, I think, 2017, this is a hard sellout for Tennessee and the, and the job that they have done, uh, as we mentioned a few days ago, uh, with Hendon Hooker, uh, Tyon Evans at running back, Velas Jones at wide receiver, and, and where they have turned this up. Uh, and, and, you know, one thing we, we meant to mention the other day was, uh, and, and when Alabama's red hot rolling, they're really good at this. And Tennessee's done it too. Trav, they've scored more points in the first quarter 101 that they have in frankly in years and lead the nation in first quarter points per game with 16 it's been quite a while since we've seen that haven't we yeah i don't think it's going to take long probably for either of these offenses to get going saturday night and when you look at stat lines for the two quarterbacks you would think that Ole miss would have the clear advantage with matt corral but then you consider, especially of late, what Hendon Hooker has done mm-hmm. for Tennessee. Hey, these are two guys that are averaging in the same neighborhood in terms of yards per attempt, 10.3 for Matt Corral, 9.5 for Hooker. Hooker has 13 touchdown passes and just one interception. Corral, 12 touchdown passes, 
big stat for Matt Corral. He's yet to throw a pick this season. So that's a sign of maturity. And then you talked about it. You get into the run game where both Hooker and Corral can uh, impact things. And um, yeah, it has all the ingredients to be an explosive evening at Neyland Stadium. And whatever you think of Tennessee football, it is a lot more fun when that place is rocking at a full capacity. Uh, Well, and again, big picture stuff here. Uh, They've got Bama next week. Then you've got Kentucky and Georgia. And then you end the season with South Alabama and Vanderbilt. So my thing is, Travis, if they could win a game like this, uh, at this point, uh, this could be a season Tennessee four and two right now. Uh, I mean, could we be looking at seven and five at least for them possibly? Yeah, we talk about Georgia-Kentucky as the SEC Eastern Division Championship game, but Tennessee may have something to say about that. Now, Tennessee's got to go to Tuscaloosa a week from Saturday. So already with one conference loss, that's a daunting Mm -hmm. sort of visit that's in the not-too-distant future. But, yeah, you look at the league standings right now for the divisions in general, you've got just two undefeated teams left in not only overall play but conference play. They're going to get together, as we've outlined for you there, at Sanford Stadium on Saturday afternoon with Georgia and Kentucky. Boy, the West is a mess, isn't it? It is. You've got four teams with one loss, Alabama, Auburn, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. The team that beat Alabama is one and two in the league. It's just that kind of year, it seems like, Brent. Anything else before we get out of here? Well, look, it's going to be exciting to see where this thing goes. I mean, there's as we get... Uh, closer to November, which is hard to believe uh, that we're saying that. Uh, just, again, a lot uh, that's at stake uh, overall w- within the league. Uh, look, everybody still is uh, is looking at LSU and see where that situation might go. Uh, Travis, we talked about the Heisman. I, I don't remember a year, Travis, a voter, to where we really, and again, I know it's early, we're only halfway part, but I mean, right now, we, we, we're nowhere near having a front runner uh, as far as the Heisman. I mean, we've got names like Kenneth Walker of Michigan State, Grace McCall of Coastal Carolina, Matt Corral, obviously, of Ole Miss, Tanner Mordecai of SMU, Desmond Ritter of Cincinnati. So, Tra- Trav, at this point, what, what, what does that tell you about the uh, the Heisman possibility? Well, I was asked in a poll in the preseason for my top Heisman candidate from the SEC for the 2021 season. I think some folks laughed at me when I gave him Will Anderson, the yeah. outside linebacker for Alabama. But thinking about the possibilities otherwise, this had all the makings of potentially being a year in which a defensive guy with a dominant season, could at least threaten to win that award. We know it's a quarterback award primarily, but um, you know you also see the occasional running back uh, take the honor as well. We've seen the occasional wide receiver as recent as this past uh, season with Devontae Smith winning the Heisman. So, you know, I think if Will could have continued his big tackle for loss streak, against A&M last Saturday, maybe we'd still be talking about that possibility. But I don't think Bryce Young, from the Alabama perspective, is necessarily out of it either. So absolutely, it's 
it's as wide open as any time I can recall, no doubt about it. You're going to have a tough job in front of you, well, Brent, coming well, up here. And I'll say this, Trav, could you could we even do a little bit of, of uh, small talk about a Jordan Davis on that yeah. Georgia defensive line, or maybe or maybe a Nicobe Dean type player yeah. that they've got on that defense. Now, those guys have been outstanding, no doubt about it. The thing that impresses me the most, though, about the Georgia defense isn't just that it has star power like that. It's that they are very much connected in how they yeah. play. Hasn't always been the case for Georgia defensively under Kirby Smart, but this time around, that is not an issue for the dogs. Well, Brent, as always, a lot of fun. Look forward to another big weekend in the Southeastern Conference. And, of course, early next week, we'll be here on Second Helping to review all of the action from the number one league in college football. Thanks again, Brent. Pleasure, pal. Look forward to next week. For Brent Beard, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us here on Second Helping. If you haven't already, subscribe to Second Helping. Anywhere you consume podcasts, you're going to find Second Helping. If you leave us a rating and a review while you're there, that would help us out tremendously as well. Until next time, have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you again soon.